Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is January 6th. We finally made it to 2021, and things are going so much better. I'm David Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll. Uh, we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com, and in this week's episode, we're going to discuss the NL Central, uh, the Brewers' starting rotation, and a little bit of a Winter League update, uh, a couple of Brewers' prospects playing some winter ball. Joining us this week is Matt Pauly, uh, host of the Brewers pre- and post-game on 620 WTMJ. He's also on ESPN Milwaukee, Sports Map Radio. Basically, he's a lot of places and does a lot of things. Matt Pauly, uh, welcome welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast, man. How you doing? I'm good, David. Matt, I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Absolutely. We appreciate you coming on, uh, joining us, talking some, some Brewers baseball this week. So, you know, not much has really kind of been happening uh, transaction-wise for the Brewers. Uh, we talked last week about, you know, the big moves with Blake Snell and you Darvish uh, that, that went on across baseball. Uh, but David Stearns has been largely inactive to this point in the offseason. And the NL Central really just kind of seems like it's taking a, a giant step back this year. I mean, you, you saw the Cubs trading away you Darvish, the Cardinals uh, declined the option on Colton Wong. They could lose Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. The Reds traded away Rysel Iglesias. They're trying to get rid of Sonny Gray or Luis Castillo, looking to trade some more payroll. Uh, and really just the whole division seems to be taking a step back. The Brewers lost Knable. And one comparison I've seen a lot is the NL Central basically being MLB's version of the NFC East in football, where all the teams are really just kind of mediocre or bad. No one really seems to be trying to win, and it's just kind of a, a tough situation for, for competition. And the NL Central has gone from basically one of the strongest divisions the past couple of years, and now it's it's looking like one of the weakest, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible for this being the division that got the most teams in the playoff this year to now being a division where it doesn't feel like any team in the division is really – trying to make any big moves and try to win. It's almost like who, who's going to be the least terrible team. Now, I think I like the NFC East comparison, but where I would drop that a little bit is I don't think a sub 500 team is going to win the division. Uh, now, how much over 500 is a team going to be? Does 85 games win the division? Is there really that much of a difference between an 85 win team in baseball and a six or seven win team in football? We can, we can argue that one way or another, but I don't think the team that wins the NL central will be a below 500 team. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Cubs are, are slashing payroll. We have They've already dropped some guys, and we really don't know how many other guys they're going to move on from. The Reds, after being the darling last year in free agency, uh, they're moving a lot of guys. And you mentioned a lot of players, even old friend Mike Moustakis. There's been rumors that he's out uh, on the trade block as well. Um, the Cardinals... They may not bring back Adam Wainwright. They may not bring back Yadier Molina. They are limited in the amount of money they're going to spend. It seems like Cubs and Reds are really trying to reduce payroll. And to me, it feels like the Cardinals and the Brewers, yeah, payroll is probably going to be reduced, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be to the extreme levels that it is uh, with, with the Cubs and the Reds. But at the end of the day, and we don't even mention the Pirates because they're always rebuilding, but it, every team is seemingly is being put in a position to step back i do have to wonder and i think this probably applies to the cardinals and the brewers the most um if there's still a lot of guys out there and the division is just clearly there for the taking uh 
and spring training's right around the corner. Spring training's right there. Are there a couple one-year deals where they extend their, themselves a little bit more than you're expecting them to, to to bring in some legit guys? I still maybe it's just being hopeful because I think it's bad for baseball when nobody's spending money. Uh, but I feel like when I look at the division, the Brewers and the Cardinals are the team that I feel like could still potentially maybe do something. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, especially like you said, with with the Reds by all means showing signs that they're willing to listen on just about anyone right now in terms of a trade and the Cubs uh, having mentioned uh, right before Epstein left about, uh, hey, look for them to potentially be slashing. They're still listening on uh, Castillo, uh, I'm sorry, um, Contreras, Contreras. Yeah. Um, as well as some of those, you know, big core names. Um, mentioned kind of last week a little bit, you know, the Brewers, they did what everyone expected. All the moves that they made, all the options that they let go, um, the tenders, non-tenders decisions, they were all expected moves. Um, and the Cardinals kind of have just been a sit-pats. Um, the guys who did leave, the Colton Wong was the surprising one. Um, the other guys are kind of long-term, you know, getting up there in age. Um, I do find it interesting. So MLB came out with their first power rankings of the year, right at the uh, uh, released them right on January 1st. Um, and they kind of read about, you know, the way you expect based off of um, some of the conversations we've been having. The Brewers um, came in at number 18, sitting right there alongside the Cubs and Reds, who are at 15 and 16. Pirates are all the way down there at the bottom. The interesting one to me was that they have the Cardinals all the way up at number 12, when all they have done to this point is lose people. Um, among the names that we listed, don't forget, they also actually lost uh, Brad Miller, uh, that's an 807 OPS that they're losing from last year. Seven home runs, 25 RBIs. Um, that's not nothing for them to be losing, considering, again, they haven't added anything. So, yeah, you know, like you're saying, like, whoever goes and makes that first move, and granted, um, everyone still has time to make a move here, but if someone's willing to do it, and yes, the losses have happened, yes, we keep hearing about how payroll is going to be down compared to previous years. But also we've been here when Adonazio has been willing to just spend a little bit more, just open that pocketbook a tiny bit. And if they could recognize that there is a window of opportunity, yeah, maybe it does happen. Maybe that uh, $4 million contract becomes someone else for a $6 million contractor, you know, just something a little bit extra. I don't know. Yeah, and I think this is where there is a competitive advantage. Players want to play in Milwaukee now. This has become, and I think it's largely because of Craig Council and the culture that has been established inside of that clubhouse, players talk to each other. Players' wives talk with each other. And there is an environment there where if it makes sense, now you're not going to take a whole lot less money to come to Milwaukee simply because you might have a little bit of fun uh, in the clubhouse. I'm not saying that, but... Milwaukee, I do think, is one of the destination locations in Major League Baseball where it is right now. And you still have Christian Yelich. You are still in a competitive window because of that. And I do think and this is a really weird offseason. And it, it, it will be fun. Hopefully it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be at least notable, interesting to look back at this conversation once opening day hits and see what actually happens uh, in, in this offseason. But I think for the market size that the Brewers are in, 
I think that Mark Atanasio has done a nice job in terms of the amount of money that the team has spent. Now, does that mean he couldn't spend a little bit more? I'm not saying that, but I think uh, a lot of people try to give him grief and, and say that he's not spending money. And I'm very comfortable uh, with the amount of money that he has shown to spend. And I know that when there are opportunities to go acquire players and it's going to cost a little bit of money, he is generally somebody who's going to say yes to that. This offseason is different than anything we've ever experienced because of the pandemic, because of the, uh, I think more than anything, we don't know what next season is going to look like. If we knew right now that on opening day, there was going to be 10% capacity at, at the ballpark and midway through the season, it's going to get up to 50% and you're going to be darn near 100% at the end of the year. And you had the ability to kind of plan out the year from a financial standpoint, I think it would look different. But we all as human beings, we are we are fearful of the unknown. And I think we're seeing that in Major League Baseball with a few exceptions like the the Padres and some other teams that have made some moves. I think Major League Baseball owners are fearful of the unknown right now, and that's what's stopping them from spending money. So I just, I don't know. Maybe the the financial situation is is really tough right now, and they're just not going to be able to make those kind of moves. And even if there are some one-year deals on the table as we're getting really close to spring training, that would extend them a little bit more than they're planning on. Maybe they will say no to that. But historically, they have said yes to those kind of moves. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to tell that just by looking at uh, Twitter because everyone I see on Twitter wants Mark to sell the team. Uh, and that's it, it's not something that I think, like who else really kind of would be a better option? Like there really isn't one. And I, I think, like you said, Matt, Mark has done a, a really good job um, being willing to extend the payroll a little bit for guys like Yasmani Grandal or... Uh, giving the extension money for Christian Yelich. I mean, that's something that really kind of not a lot of people thought the Brewers would have the money and ability to do um, to get that kind of extension in place with Yelich. And they're just kind of waiting on him to sort of reach or get closer to free agency and, and wait for the Brewers to have to trade him away because they can't afford him. And the Brewers instead were able to afford him and keep him around long term, kind of similar to what had been going on with the Bucks and, and Giannis. Uh, everyone had been trying to push him to get out of town, but, you know, they kept him around. Uh, and, and then for um, just kind of like spending money on players, I think last year the Brewers almost single handedly kept alive the, the middle class of MLB free agency. Like they signed a bunch of guys at just kind of like four five, $6 million. Like that whole group had really kind of been pinched out in free agency the past couple of years. It just kind of been the stars and everyone else is just kind of down to, you know, very small amount of money um, or, or minor league deals. So it, it's something that the Brewers have, like, like you said, have been able to, uh, spend before and, and show that they're willing to to make a jump forward. And, and maybe they can this year, um, but it's just kind of waiting out the market. And like you said, a lot of uncertainty, not only with the financial situation, but also with the roster. We, we don't know if there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League this year. And that's going to make it hard for, for a guy like Stearns to look at this corner infield market because a lot of those guys overlap with the DH market. And if they don't know if there's going to be a DH, it's hard to – give some of these guys a little bit more money that, that they're asking for if he doesn't know if he's going to have that kind of backup option to put them to ensure that they get all the at-bats that he's essentially going to be paying for. Yeah, I, I have a lot of issues with Rob Manfred. I think most baseball <laughs> fans have a lot of issues. Yeah, join the club. 
maybe my number one issue with him is that the rules for the season are not set at the beginning of the league year. And the, the, what you mentioned with the DH is a perfect example. And this isn't the first time, you know, they put in the rule about the three batter minimum. If you remember the year before that went in, they were talking about putting that in and they were still discussing that up until about spring training. And then they said, not this year, next year. So that three batter minimum rule, all of a sudden the lefty one out guy, he's, he's not as valuable as he was before. So you've built the roster and you don't know what the rules are going to be. If I had all the control in the world of Major League Baseball, one of the first things that I would do is I would determine that rule changes need to be in place before the league year and before free agency opens. So when you're putting together a roster, you know exactly the rules that you are going to be playing that year. It is it's insane and it's dumb, to be perfectly honest, that we are a little bit more than a month away from spring training and we really don't know what the rules are going to be this year. I mean, that works for me. I will start the petition. We both can uh, to get you to replace Rob Manfred. And if if we can start a grassroots uh, movement here, that's that's fine. hashtag Matt Polly for commissioner. Yes, let's get it done. Yeah, I think it was uh, Scott Boris, and I'm not. Uh, I go back and forth on Boris. Uh, you know, I, I think he does a really good job in terms of uh, his job is to get his clients the most amount of money. And you know what? He does that well. I'm not always sure he's good for baseball, but I think it was him when he did his annual, you know, state of Scott Boris address uh, around the winter meetings. He mentioned baseball bringing in a CEO. So, you know, Rob Manfred can litigate the game, for lack of a better term, and then you can have somebody else who can kind of grow the game. And I think that's a fantastic idea because Manfred's a businessman and we don't see he claims that he loves the game of baseball. We do not see it. We have never once seen Rob Manfred and gone, this guy loves baseball, and you want the person leading the game to be somebody. The, Bud Selig was not a perfect commissioner. We all know mm-hmm. that. But there is not a person in the world that would say that Bud Selig did not absolutely love the game of baseball. When, so he, when he's making decisions, even if he made a decision that you disagreed with, you knew he was coming from the right place. And I just don't know if you get that with Rob Manfred. Yeah, Rob Manfred is like he came up through like the lawyer route. Like he was yeah. a labor lawyer with the league, and that's really kind of how he worked his way up there. He was a, he was a chief negotiator with uh, the union, and he's he's got that that lawyer background. Whereas Seelig was was coming from you know the owner background, the you know I, I want a team in my city and, and I'm going to get a team in my city background. Manfred never had that, and. I honestly don't know if Manfred has hired someone else to be the chief negotiator now. Like if he's trying to act as commissioner while also doing his chief negotiator thing that, that he had before, then like he's got too much on his plate. You know, he's trying to focus on too many things at one time and it's basically forcing the rest of his work to suffer. Um, and, and that's really just kind of putting baseball in a, in a really bad spot right now. And it's something where baseball's in a delicate delicate spot with the CBA coming up at the end of uh, this next season. They're going to have to renegotiate that. The players have said like the players declined a deal and forced Manfred to implement a season in 2020 so that they could retain the right to file a grievance. I still haven't seen them file a grievance yet. I don't know when that's coming, but 
They're also going to have that grievance to deal with at some point. And then they're going to have the CBA talks to try to do while they're working through a grievance being filed in court. And there is so much at stake here for the game of baseball. And, you know, Manfred doesn't seem to be in the best spot to help baseball come out of this looking good. Yeah, Bruce Myers, Major League Baseball's chief negotiator, but I think Rob Manfred is very involved in, in those okay. talks. And then, you know, there's a couple player, a couple individuals on the Players Association side. This is not an original thought by me, and I can't remember who said it, but I, I really agree with it because I am I'm really concerned about uh, baseball's labor negotiations going into the 2022 season. I just I, I don't have a lot of confidence right now uh, that there's – uh, not going to be some type of work stoppage. Theo Epstein's out there right now. And if I'm Major League Baseball and I'm the Major League Baseball Players Association, I try to find a way to get Epstein involved because he's somebody who understands all aspects of what's going on from each side. He, he's a smart guy. He's a charismatic guy. And right now, the two people you got on Major League Baseball side and the two people you got on the Players Association side, when those four individuals get into a room together, it's like a bomb has gone off. I mean, you just it, it's such a horrible situation. If you can just find somebody and, and Theo's the guy that makes the most sense to me, if you can find somebody that can bring a little bit of peace to uh, to, to those interactions, maybe that goes a long way towards. They're, they're being labor peace in Major League Baseball. I'm really, really concerned about what's going to happen going into 2022. I would love any combination of people that is different than what led to trying to figure out the 2020 baseball season because that was a mess. We're, we're going to have baseball. No, we're not. It's going to be this amount of games. No, this amount of games. No, baseball's not happening. Oh, wait, it's revived again. That process of just the fans waiting to see if we were going to get baseball or not. All we wanted was something. It uh, was just, it was almost as exhausting as the crazy 60 game season itself. Yeah. And nobody was, you know, everybody was um, negotiating through the media. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, especially from an owner standpoint, I think, I think ownership has a better relationship with the, the John Haymans and the Bob Nightingales and those types of, of the world. When you when you see what they're reporting, I think it's pretty clear that many of their contacts are coming from from the ownership side. But that was just a, and I'm not trying to go back in time because it was such a bad period. But for what we were going through as a country at that period, the optics of what they were doing was so bad. And um, I I saw it in my postgame show this year. Uh, interest was down. Uh, I think mm -hmm. now what I what I don't know is because spe specifically with the Brewers, the Brewers, Brewers baseball is a very immersive kind of thing. Uh, the tailgating outside the ballpark, being inside so many people statewide coming in for weekends. I think I think there's more of a personal connection between the fans and the baseball team with the Brewers than almost any other place across Major League Baseball. So when you've got all these fans who can't go tailgate, who can't go into the ballpark, who can't be in the same room with with the players, I think that impacts the interest in the game more in Milwaukee than it would in other places. But I do also think part of it was people were turned off by those labor negotiations and how it went. And 
I could tell you whether it was interaction on the post-game show, whether it was uh, the listens on my podcast that I do, it was down this past year, and I'm hopeful that it's going to go back up. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think the interest was there this past year, what it normally is for, for the Brewers. Yeah, I think we saw the same thing at, at reviewing the brew. Like, throughout the season, like, like traffic and, and interest really kind of was down. Plus, also, the, there's only so much you can – there's only so many times you can repeat, the Brewers need to hit more uh, in articles because at that point, I think everyone kind of had figured that part out. No uh, hit but yeah. seven innings was a term that we started to use way too often. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit too often. Uh, but yeah, like that's something that, um, was totally kind of interest was down across the board and like MLB missed a major opportunity. Cause like I said, what the country was going through and you know, what, what people really kind of needed was, you know, kind of sports to come back a little bit of a sense of normalcy, get, give them some hope. And MLB had the opportunity to be the first team back. They could have come back in, in June. They, they could have come back you know, late June, 4th of July, and they could have had a whole month or two as the only sport back. And they would have gotten a ton of interest, a a ton of people who hadn't really watched baseball much before. And they would have been watching, they would have been interested and they missed that opportunity. They came back only a few days before basketball came back. They, They came back only a few days before hockey came back. They didn't have much time kind of by themselves to, to stand out and really kind of, jump up in popularity. They, it was a huge missed opportunity. And instead they really just kind of made things worse with, with all their public bickering. And it just kind of put baseball in, in really a bad state. And now they're taking baseball out of a whole bunch of communities across the country by shrinking minor league baseball. And it's just kind of putting baseball almost into on, under the track of, of being a dying sport in the country where it's been one of the more popular ones for so long. Yeah. You said a lot there. (laughs) I I tend to do that sometimes. (laughs) Uh, They, they did miss that opportunity of being the only ones for about a month. And then once the NBA and NHL got started, I thought that the NBA was more, I thought the NBA did the best job of the game. Kind of when you were watching those NBA games, it felt normal. Uh, part of it, I think, was because of the arena that they were in and everything, and you were coming up on the playoffs. Major League Baseball didn't feel normal to me, especially when I was there. I was one of the lucky ones who got to be uh, at the ballpark for games, and those empty arena or empty stadium environment, it just it wasn't the same. I, I think it was masked a little bit on TV, but the game was different, especially until late in the season. I'm somebody who came up in minor league baseball, and – the, the teams that I have been involved with have been really impacted. In fact, I don't think – I don't know if any of the teams I worked with even exist in the form that they were in when I, when I was there. I was, I was in Burlington, Iowa in the, uh, in the Midwest League. They've, they've, they're not a full-season affiliate team anymore. I think they're going to get like Summer Woodbat League there, which is going to be sponsored by Major League Baseball. I was in Colorado Springs when they were the AAA affiliate for the Brewers. They had gone down to short season ball, and now they're going to end up being an independent team. I I will give Major League Baseball a little bit of credit that I do think they're trying to make sure that some form of baseball stays in these communities. But at the same time, if you were, let's take Colorado Springs, for example. you Four years ago, you were a AAA team. 
uh, then you get knocked down to short season ball. Well, at least in short season ball, you're still getting those guys that just got drafted, some of the top prospects. Now you're going to be independent ball. And I love independent ball. I worked in independent ball. But you're never going to see those prospects anymore. If, if you love minor league baseball because you get to say, I saw player X before they were you know, winning an MVP or before they were getting the game winning hit in the World Series, whatever it might be. In those communities that are losing affiliated baseball, they're not ever going to see those guys again. It, you're going to see players who in all likelihood will never get to the big leagues. And if they do get to the big leagues, they're going to be role players and the, the 23rd, 24th, 25th guy on the roster. So I, I do actually understand from a business standpoint why Major League Baseball did what they did with minor league baseball. Um, but it really stinks for the communities. And we haven't seen how it's all going to play out because independent baseball is expensive because you have to play, pay the player salaries. When you're an affiliated team, the Major League Baseball club pays those salaries. So what, what the baseball you know, landscape looks like these first few years after the realignment and what it looks like five years down the road, ten years down the road, I think that's going to be interesting because there's probably going to be some teams out there that can't continue from a business standpoint of what's been set up for them. I don't even know if you asked that question, but I, I gave you a long answer. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, there's something that we talked about a bunch um, with uh, Garrett Green, a friend of the podcast, a broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers. And, you know, he, he talked about the same things you're talking about there. The the communities are, are losing it out, and, you know, they're not going to see any of these top prospects coming through. You don't get to say, I saw Mike Trout back when he was an A-ball. You know, they're not going to be coming through in those places anymore. And, and Colorado Springs – you know, six years ago, they were the AAA team for the in-state Colorado Rockies. Yeah. So, you know, a, a lot of those guys around that live in Colorado Springs, a lot of them are Rockies fans. So, like, you could see those prospects for the Rockies down there, and then they go for some other team, and it's not going to be the same. And now they're, you know, all the way down to independent ball. You know, that, that's just really kind of rough for the people of, of Colorado Springs. And, yeah, Burlington, all these other communities, you know, it, it's really kind of kind of tough losing – uh, that that part of the game and and that's where a lot of those people you know a lot of people in those small communities love baseball like that that's where they see it and, that, and that's where you know they become baseball fans going forward um and, and it's really just kind of how this whole thing ha, has gone and and like you said you know financial viability for for those minor league teams and you know you know back to you know the major league portion you know not having fans and and, and playing through everything else you know, the major league teams, they're claiming that, you know, financial issues and it's just kind of leading to a, a tough spot for the league because they know they need to get fans back in 2021. They, they know they need as many fans as they can possibly get, but they also don't want to be um, too reckless and, and just be like, all right, yeah, we're just going to go 100 percent capacity on opening day for everybody before anyone else is just like, yeah, like that, like that's that may not be ready just yet. It's the the way the money is set up in Major League Baseball also de incentivizes regular season games, uh, and that was that was part of the reason that Major League Baseball was pushing down the number of regular season games last year down to sixty. And I think we're going to see a full 162 game season this year, but it was just a couple weeks ago where we started hearing the rumors that owners are talking about a delayed start. And, you know, they, they may want to try, they, they 
floated out the idea that they don't start until the vaccine gets to everybody so their players can be vaccinated. And that's part of it. But if they're being really honest about things, the other part of that is waiting to play regular season games until they can have fans in the stands because that's that's a revenue creator. And um, I, I do believe that every time they opened up the doors last year for a regular season game, that they lost money. Now, at the same time, they made close to a billion dollars from TV revenue during the postseason. So that money makes up a lot for uh, what they what they didn't make during the course of the regular season. But without fans, I don't think Major League owners have any motivation to play regular season games. The players clearly have all the motivation in the world to play regular season games because they want to get paid their full salary for for 162 games. Uh, but that's the rub right now. And the, I'm no lawyer. I am no lawyer. But based off everything that I have read, uh, really because they went through with the season last year, I, I don't think Major League Baseball is in a place where they are going to be able to not play 162 this year without some sort of uh, agreement with the with the players. I don't think they can unilaterally push forward with anything. Yeah, one way or another, whether it's a full season, one that starts in Memorial Day, whatever, they have their work cut out for them to build up enough goodwill with baseball fans over the course of 2021 in case – things all go south during collective bargaining. Um, They may need to make sure that, you know, they have built up enough of a fan base that they're going to come back after whatever nastiness happens. Well, think, okay, so I still hear from people who talk about the the strike in the 90s who say they Mm -hmm. stopped watching baseball then and they haven't come back. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, and it's a very small percentage of people, uh, but there are still people who are angry about that strike. Can you imagine... If Major League Baseball does 60-game season with everything that led to it, followed by whatever the heck happens this year, followed by another potential lost year because of labor negotiations, that would be such a bad place for them to be in. Um, and, and and I think that would that would have a – we think baseball has been impacted now. I can't even imagine the impact in terms of jobs in front offices and just everything that goes along with it. That is the worst case scenario. And I I think it's a possibility. I don't think it's a huge possibility, but I I think it's a legit possibility. Yeah. I think we just have to hope at this point that the smarter heads will prevail and both sides just kind of realize that going down that path would just be catastrophic for everyone. And there's no need to go scorched earth no. Uh, when it comes to, to labor negotiations here. So this has been certainly a positive turn in the conversation here in this week's episode. I, I think we started this off with, with how is the NL Central like the NFC East? And we really just kind of spiral here for half an hour. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm a podcast killer. I just take it down. Road <laughs> I don't want to go down. Yeah, we're just going off here. I mean, yeah, it, it we're, I mean, we're not wrong. Like you weren't wrong in, it, in anything that you were saying there, but yeah, that was that was not what I was expecting at all. But hey, any rant against against Rob Manfred is is fine by me. Worth um, it. So kind of back to my original point here on the NFC on the NL Central, kind of being like the NFC East. I think the Pirates could could kind of be similar to the the Philadelphia Eagles because Pirates are kind of like tanking. Like everyone knows that. Did anyone watch that Sunday night football game where 
the the Eagles took out Jalen Hurts and put in Nate Sudfeld for the fourth quarter. And Sudfeld was just yakking it up like he was awful. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, this is a three point game. And you took out Jalen Hurts like that, that, that. I know this isn't baseball, but that just seemed like total tanking to me. No, it was. It clearly <laughs> was. I The funniest part, actually, about it to me were all the Giants fans who were complaining. Obviously, their whole playoff uh, hopes relied on what happened in that game. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe you should have tried winning more than six games. Like, yeah. you yeah. brought that on yourself. Come on, yeah, it's guys. It's hard like, to, like, really feel bad for the Giants when they had the record that they had. Like, you don't. You can be upset at the Eagles for what they did, and it have absolutely nothing to do with the Giants. Yeah, I, I I just think like you know the big issue is is like you know at least even though the Giants didn't win that many games, at least they were trying for a hundred percent of them, and I, I think they're making the case that the Eagles, or at least Doug Peterson, didn't exactly try. I'm sure the players out there were trying their best, but you know with with Doug Peterson kind of taking out Jalen Hurts and. Like, I'm sure Nate Sudfeld was trying his best, but his best is not that good. And <laughs> Jalen Hurts' best is a little bit better. Um, so, yeah. And, the, and I'm just like, you know what? The Pirates are kind of like that. You know, they're trading away Josh Bell. They're not really trying to get, get any better. They're just kind of tanking for draft picks. Um, and they got the number one pick this year. Um, so it's going to be uh, a fun situation going on over there in Pittsburgh. I'm sure they'll totally screw up whatever pitcher they draft. Um, and then trade him away in a couple of years and watch him turn into a stud. Uh, they've totally. Uh, they're the trades they've made. Uh, I mean, even the, the Archer deal, they just <laughs> Archer. They've made so many bad moves. It's uh, that has not been a well-run organization. No, no, absolutely not. But, you know, it's fine by me if they're sitting down at the bottom, at the bottom of the NL central. Um, so that was kind of, um, change topics here and, and talk a little bit about the Brewers starting rotation. Uh, this is something we haven't really talked about much so far this off season. Uh, but looking at the rotation, I, mean, I think it's certainly the, one of the strongest position groups that the Brewers have uh, heading into 2021. You got Brandon Woodruff, you got Corbin Burns uh, and you got Josh Lindblom as really kind of the locks for the rotation. And you got Adrian Hauser um, coming off a little bit of a rough year, but likely to get a rotation spot. Um, he's there competing, Eric Lauer, you got Freddie Peralta, um, then you got Dylan File and Alec Bettinger as kind of the lower down options to kind of fill out this group. But do the Brewers need a veteran starter kind of, you know, in the mold of a Brett Anderson, someone with more experience around the league to, to kind of fill out this rotation? Because I, I was looking at, at, at all these guys that the Brewers have, all of their projected starters have less than three years of service time. They're actually all between two and three years of service time, which I found very interesting. I don't know if anyone else has that, but like Brandon Woodruff is the most experienced in terms of MLB service at two years and 161 days. Then Josh Lindblom's at like two years and 151. Uh, and then it's followed by, uh, you know, Lauer and then Burns and, and Hauser. Um, but like all these guys are really kind of young, don't have that much big league. They have some, they got a decent amount, but there's no kind of veteran uh, MLB guy who's, who's been around the league for a while that's in their group. So do you think that they might need a guy like that in their rotation? Absolutely. 100% without a doubt. Uh, and I, I expect them to sign somebody um, 
at the top of the rotation, Woodruff and Burns, you can put those two guys up with just about anybody. I mean, that's why last year going into the postseason uh, before the, the injury to Burns, why we were saying, okay, you know what? They have a puncher's chance against anybody, including the Dodgers, when you can go with those two guys because either one of those guys can steal a game for you. Now, it didn't work out that way, and we know how good the Dodgers were, but that's a that is a that's an elite start, top of the starting rotation. After that, it's question marks. Adrian Hauser still has not had that breakthrough. We have seen at times how good he can be, but we have also seen how not good he can be. Uh, inconsistency from Josh Lindblom, a lot of inconsistency from Eric Lauer. He got sent back to the alternate train site. Now I know they still really believe in him. And you mentioned guys like like Freddie Peralta, whoever else you want to mention. Uh, you're never going to go through a year just using five starting pitchers. You're, you're generally going to use at least twice that many. Uh, so for me, if they can bring in a veteran guy, he doesn't have to be an all-star, just a, a solid veteran guy that you can really view as your number three starter. So you'd go Woodruff Burns and whoever else that next guy is, and then all those other guys get to go compete for those final two spots in the rotation. That makes sense. And I have the expectation that they are going to sign somebody like that at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, take a look at the uh, World Series runner-up, runners-up, uh, Tampa Bay Rays from last year. Um, had a good, you know, young core of starting pitching with uh, Glasnow, Yarbrough, Blake Snell. Um, but then who else was there in that uh, rotation? 36-year-old Charlie Morton, who played a huge part, you know, of that rotation. It, it helps to have, you know, one of those veteran guys kind of just helping stabilize. So if you look out there um, on the free agent market, there are some names such as a, you know, I, I don't know that I'm fully in on a guy like a Chris Archer, um, but he is out there and he's got some age to him. There there are definitely some veterans um, out there. I know one of my, I mentioned him last week, uh, one of my favorites out there that I think could be gotten at a decent price is um, Colin McHugh. Um, he has some starting experience and relief experience, but he's done well as a starter. Um, and, hey, let's not forget, I mean, Brett Anderson is still out there. If we really did decide to bring him back, he's familiar with the um, pitching coaches and the pitching staff now. Um, I don't think it would be unheard of to uh, at least give him a call again, depending on kind of how the rest of the uh, starting pitching market kind of shakes out. Yeah, there's a ton of guys out there that I think fit into kind of that. I'm just looking at you know, the list of free agent starting pitchers right now, and uh, I'm not going to go through the list with you, but I mean, there's there's a dozen guys that are free agents right now that you could say could really step into to that role. Now, again, I think it's a case where all of these guys are going to try to make as much money as they possibly can, and that probably means they're not going to be signing deals until – close to spring training or after spring training has gotten started uh, because at that point they're probably going to get a little bit more desperate. In fact, if, you know, it, this is, it's just such a tough year. If I, if I'm a free agent, I'm just looking for a job at this point and just mm-hmm. get my money guaranteed for this year and try again next season, because I just feel like the longer we go, the more salaries are going to be driven down. Yeah, it's a tough situation, really kind of problem, like really kind of Trevor Bowers, the only one that, you know, can be like, you know, setting his market and just kind of holding out for whatever. Um, but yeah, for like all those like, you know, mid level, middle class kind of starters, it's like, 
are you going to haggle that much about getting five million or six million on a one-year deal? Um, just kind of knowing that next year, like you're going to have to um, try again um, when there's likely going to be a, a better better market out there. But yeah, a couple of options. I mean, Brett Anderson, I think he could be a guy that that they could bring back. Taiwan Walker is a guy that um, we've talked about a couple of times and could be an intriguing option. This is one I was just kind of looking at the list earlier and. You know, I was wondering maybe the Brewers could bring back Mike Fires. You know, he he's not an exciting looking. option. <laughs> he's not an exciting option, but you know, he's he'd be a solid number five starter. He has been a solid number number five starter for a couple of years. He's got experience. He's got familiarity with the organization, with the city. Um, you know, he might be a guy that. Uh, could make some sense on, on a one-year, couple-million-dollar deal as a veteran guy at the back end of the rotation. You know, he, he's not going to be, you know, super great. He's probably going to have an ERA in the four to three, seven, five range, maybe. Um, but he doesn't walk many guys. Uh, he doesn't strike out many guys. He he pitches to contact and and he gets out. He he gets results. Yeah, yeah, I remember when that trade was made, and that was the uh, Domingo Santana, Brett Phillips, Adrian Hauser, Josh Hader deal. Yep. Um, and I I wasn't surprised that Carlos Gomez was a part of that deal, but I remember, and I was working in the minor leagues at the time at AAA, I, I saw a lot of Mike Fires when I was working at AAA, and man, he was, I always thought he was going to be more at the big league level than he's turned out to be. And I was so surprised that they moved on from him when they had club control on him. I'd love to see him back in the organization. And he's somebody who I still think maybe can find another gear uh, before his major league career comes to an end. Maybe he won't. Maybe he, he is who he is, and that's just what it is. But it, it, he feels like somebody to me that has never quite got into that place where he really could get to at the big league level. Hey, keep in mind, that guy threw two no-hitters in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. So he has reached... Somewhat there, just couldn't keep it a little bit consistent. But, yeah. You could actually make, uh, at one point, a decent uh, rotation just out of ex-Brewers starters that are currently on the free agent market. Between Chase Anderson, we've got Gio Gonzalez, Mike Fires, Brett Anderson, all of them at one Yolise point. Yolise Chassin, New- newly minted U.S. citizen. Yolis Chassin, by the way. You take all of them at their Brewers' peak. I mean, that's that's not a bad rotation right there. I mean, we did this uh, two years ago where we was it? Yeah, it was two years ago where there was the market was so slow that they opened up that like alternate spring training site and they had coaches. Mm-hmm. The MLB Players Association did that, um, and you looked at some of the names that were involved in that, and you said, you know what, you could uh, you could put together a pretty good team just based off the players that are still free agents. I think that's going to be the case this year. You're right about what you just said. Um, and I would absolutely think that, uh, and do you even like a, a Jake Odorizzi was drafted by the Brewers, you know, so like, I mean, there's, there's other guys there too. So, um, yeah, you're right. And that you could probably say that about almost every team this year with the number of free agents that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really just kind of something where the, this market is going to be, you know, so so it, it was really just kind of a, a nice refreshing thing last year where the market was kind of moving like somewhat like normal, like we had signings at the at the winter meetings. I remember I, I was in the uh, the the lobby of the hotel 
um, in, in 2019 winter meetings when Garrett Cole signed. And like that was just kind of the craziest buzz, seeing everyone kind of going around, all these guys kind of, you know, like running or like walking fast, you know, over well, over wherever else. Um, just, just kind of like the big buzz. You got Ken Rosenthal just kind of zipping on by, you know, doing whatever. <laughs> He's a small guy, but he moves fast. Um, <laughs> but I would encourage I, I've gone to two winter meetings. Just sit in the lobby of the main hotel and watch the people that walk by. It's a, uh, it is something to be seen. Yeah, like, I remember just kind of like going in there. I'm just like, I was surprised like just anyone could just walk into the hotel because you got like pretty much all of baseball in there. Like I walk in, I see Robert Murray over here, I see Ken Rosenthal over there, I see John Heyman over over to my left. You know, you got you know John Morosi somewhere somewhere over else. I saw uh, Joe Joe Madden um, just kind of over on one of the sides. I saw Tony LaRusso talking to someone in the lobby there. Um, we were sitting, uh, a couple of, of friends of mine um, that, that I met there were sitting at the bar kind of next to um, Jose Bautista's agent. We saw um, Dallas Braden uh, just kind of sitting there and just kind of like just all these people. I saw Scott Boris uh, when I was there just, just kind of, you know, standing around talking and it's like, it, it's just it's just crazy, you know, seeing all those guys there in in one spot, and that you know, just kind of the feeling of like I'm right here, you know. I remember I bumped, I accidentally, I was walking backwards or something, not paying attention to where I was going because I do stuff like that, and I bumped <laughs> into Tommy Lasorda, and I felt oh, wow. so horrible about it, and he was he was as nice as could be when I uh, when I apologized, but yeah, I mean, there's just it, you're and you're right, there's um, I've gone. It, I got, I went when I was working in minor league baseball because they did a, a minor league baseball job fair each year. And that's what led me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Anybody can just go. And, uh, it's, it's a sight to be seen. It comes to the Midwest every once in a while. One of the years I went to it, it was in Indianapolis. Uh, I've been to it in Florida, uh, Florida, San Diego, cities like that seemed Orlando a lot, uh, seem to be the places where it goes to. Yeah. It's going to be in Nashville next year. Yeah, um, that's so that's, too. yeah, no, yeah. another good one. Um, at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, very huge place. Um, but yeah, I, I was there for that uh, that minor league job fair as well, and just kind of you know seeing all these guys like you know during the day, kind of being around there, and then also just kind of going over to the to the big hotel because because that year it was it was at the convention center, which is just like a block up the road. Um, so yeah, it was it's definitely a a, a cool scene. Um, and yeah, like for anyone listening, like totally recommend going to, to the winter meetings at some point. Like it is, it is incredible. Just, just kind of sit there. Like it's ridiculously expensive. Like at, at the hotel it was at, it was $8 for a beer. Like it was, it was insane. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a, a really, really good time. And you never know who you're going to walk into. Like I saw, I didn't walk up to him, but I saw uh council and, and Pat Murphy just kind of talking to each other in kind of a, a side hallway. It's like, okay, like they're there. They're doing their thing. Just, you know, it, it's just kind of a, a really cool thing to kind of see them all. I did not see Stearns there, but, you know, maybe next time. <laughs> so it's sidebar on this in case anybody's listening to this podcast and are trying to work in baseball and are going to utilize the, the job fair. Something that I just always recommend and, and it impacted me. You know, what? going and going to the job fair and doing putting your resume in the in the box and, and trying to get interviews. Yeah, there's some value to that. But the real value is 
going to the hotel bar and meeting people and introducing yourself to people and talking to people. I remember uh, I, I flew my first time I went, I was just trying to get into baseball and I flew out and I had a couple drinks on the plane and I was feeling pretty good. So then I got to the hotel and I was like, you know what, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go have a couple more drinks. And I went down to the hotel bar on my first night there and I, I met somebody and he hooked me up with my first ever broadcasting job in baseball. Nothing that I did at the job fair or anything else paid out any dividends, but it was this guy that I met at the bar my first night in Orlando that resulted in me getting my first uh, broadcasting job in professional baseball. So in case, total sidebar, but I try to say that as often <laughs> as I can because I think uh, people who are interested in working in baseball, that, that's how you do it. You, you meet people uh, at, at, in opportunities where they're there to be met. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, great advice. A- absolutely. You know, I, I met a lot of people when I was, um, down there. It didn't lead to me getting a job, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, it, it happens, but, um, yeah, it's certainly something that, you know, I, I'm looking forward to having it be a thing next year. Cause it was, it was all virtual this past year. Um, but next year, hopefully by December, that'll, that'll be able to be a thing again. Um, so uh, let's just kind of um, flip gears here to kind of our, our final uh, subject. Uh, Winter League is, is kind of going on right now. Uh, the Australia Winter League has really kind of started. The Brewers have a couple prospects down there. Nick Kale, um, or as the announcers down in Australia have been calling him, Nick Collie. Uh, it's... <laughs> Like, I don't know if it's just kind of like an, an Australian thing or if, or if like no one told him. Because like when I first saw uh, his name, I mispronounced it, uh, which is really kind of embarrassing because I was broadcasting for the lacrosse loggers at the time. And, and he was a former logger. So like everyone around there had kind of known him, but I didn't. And I completely butchered his name the first time on air, <laughs> which was kind of embarrassing. But yeah, Nick Kale. Um, I mean, he's got a home run so far. He's he's shown the, the cannon behind the plate. But, uh, Matt, like, like what are just kind of your thoughts on the Brewers just kind of sending these guys down to Australia and getting some of their prospects some more at-bats uh, here during Winter League? I think it's really important. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't overstate that. And uh, I think it holds double importance this year. First off, these guys didn't get an opportunity to play a minor league baseball season this past year. So getting them some professional, competitive at-bats – is a really important thing from the other side. And this, this is more about moving forward and you hope that this relationship uh, in Australia will continue on. One of the, th- I know the brewers were one of the teams that was a big proponent of the shrinking of the minor leagues that we talked about earlier this year. Uh, but something that the brewers and I think other small market teams have previously utilized it's the ability to have an extra minor league team. You know, there's no set number of short season clubs that you had to have. And there were a number of organizations that would have an extra short season club. And that's one way. If you're the brewers, if you're a small market team, one of the, one of the cheapest possible ways to try to bring up quality players in the organization is you have enough, you know, diamond in the rough kind of guys, you might hit on one of them and you have to have opportunities for them to, to go play. And those opportunities are not going to exist as much now with the uh, with the lesson minor leagues. And, and I know 
guys will have places to go play, but they're not going to be directly in the organization. So things are going to be a little bit different. But if you've got these opportunities with winter ball to get players more at bats, I think that is a really important thing in terms of extended development of guys uh, when you're trying to hit on as many minor leaguers as possible. Yeah, I mean, for those of us who've been kind of starving for some minor league action, this has been great. Like, just something, like some players to finally pay some attention to. We didn't even get to have, you know, Arizona Fall League or anything like that to kind of try and um, check into. Um, really big fan of Nick Hale, and we've talked about the uh, um, catching depth that the Brewers have. You know, this is another guy who ends up working out. Just add to the catching depth within the organization um, that little uh, cannon that he had when he threw the guy out at second um, was nice to see and uh, not surprising because he does have 50-grade arm, it looks like, um, according to his uh, scouting grade on Pipeline. Um, but, yeah, it's just oh, it's just nice to have something back that has to do with prospects that's not just trying to get the little bit of bits of snippets from the alternate trading site. And, you know, props to the crew that was up there in Appleton – um, I think they did a great job. Um, those uh, little YouTube videos that they put out on each um, prospect, I think, was fantastic. Um, I don't know what other team really did work with uh, keeping their fans engaged with the prospects at the alternate training st- site that well. Um, but this is just another way to get, uh, for me, to get that uh, excited again for minor league baseball coming back. Because, man, I just, I just I want that baseball. Yeah, and we found out this week that uh, Major League Baseball and AAA are going to go through spring training, and mm-hmm. then once they leave, that's when the single A and the double A guys are going to come in, and it's going to be a delayed start. But I do think we're going to have some form of a minor league season this upcoming year, which is really good for the organization, really good for baseball fans in all of these communities. Yeah, the alternate training site was in Appleton, but I felt really bad for the people in that community. The timber rattlers are just... Uh, they are as good of an organization that, that exists in minor league baseball, and it's it's such a good setup. And the baseball fans uh, in that part of the state are, support that team. And it was just a bummer that games were not uh, were not being played. So I, as somebody who came up in the minor leagues, I'm right there with you. Like I I really enjoy it. It's it's tough when I'm doing 162 uh, Brewers games a year to fully grasp everything that is uh, that's going on. But uh, it's fun to read the reports every day, the minor league reports that come out and know what's going on. You mentioned the catching situation. Uh, How many teams out there could have a Peyton Henry that they don't protect onto the the Mm 40-man roster? And, you know, it's it's a position where other organizations, it's really tough to have an on-the-job training when it comes to a catcher at the major league level. So that's why he doesn't end up getting selected by another team. But that doesn't take anything away from him. The, the catching depth in this organization is so good, and that's one of the areas I'm most excited about. I, I, I still think there's a really legit possibility that the catching tandem moving forward will be Feliciano and, and Henry, and if that's the case, I think that's going to turn into a, a really nice tandem. Yeah, the, the Brewers have in, incredible catching depth. When we had a friend of the podcast, Robert Murray, on a couple of weeks ago, you know, he was talking about how that's a position that the Brewers value – incredibly highly it's something that you know they view it as, as a premium key part of their recipe to success 
um, ha- having strong catchers. Um, it's a position they've invested heavily in over the past couple of years. And it, it's one, I mean, maybe maybe even the best of the bunch coming up could be Hefferson Cuero, the, the signee out of uh, Venezuela in, in 2018 or, or 2019, whenever they signed him. Um, he hasn't played any official uh, games yet. But, you know, with the reports coming out of the alternate training site and what places like Baseball America um, and and other scouts have really kind of said about him, it's like he's really he really kind of could be a really good catcher going forward. And it's almost like the new outfielder for David Stearns, because you remember when Stearns first got in there, he was just stockpiling outfielders like the Brewers had outfielders coming out of their ears. You know, they, they had a billion of them. And now their focus seems to be on on getting the catchers. Now now that they have a billion outfielders, they're focused on adding the catchers to that group. And where they go from there, I don't know. They need some corner infielder somewhere. They have none of them. Yeah. So that maybe that should be the next thing. You know, get some third baseman in the in the pipeline. You know, maybe that can be a recipe to to success. Isn't it? Um, it's January six guys and. We really don't know who the team's first baseman or third baseman is going to be. Yeah. I think currently they have, what, Luis Urias at third, and he doesn't present much of a power threat at all. Uh, And then at first base, you got Daniel Vogelbach, who's mostly a DH, and the Brewers have said as such, but they don't know if there's going to be a DH this year, which circles back to what we were ranting about before. But... Yeah, they they really kind of don't have much for options there at all. I I thought he looked fine at first base in limited opportunities last year. And may, maybe he gets exposed if he plays a lot there. Uh, that can happen. You know, I remember when Braun was playing a little bit more first base uh, a couple of years before that. He looked really good for a while, and then all of a sudden he was there a lot, and he started to get exposed. So maybe the limited exposure at first base made – uh, Vogelbach looked better than he actually is because the organization really did not feel overly comfortable uh, with putting him at first. But from what I saw, I, I, I thought he did an adequate job there. I mean, we did sign Tim Lopes. I, that, that's all That's all I got. That's unfortunately like the movement that we've made in that department up to this point. Uh, and he's an outfielder. Like, <laughs> yeah, they have him listed as infield on the um, team uh-huh. site. I think he's kind of a, a utility type, kind of kind of like the old Aaron Perez or or the current Mark Mathias, you know, can play Daniel both Jacobs types of guys. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he has options, right? I believe he has options. So that's yep, uh, all three. Uh, yeah, so he's that's exactly what they want. A a guy who has options that can play multiple positions. If that's the case, sign him up. Yep, might as well put in a waiver claim. You know, see what happens. Um, all right, so I think that'll uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the uh, Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, Matt Pauly, uh, thanks so much for for coming on the show, man. It was it, it was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, we can we can rant about Rob Manfred for two whole hours if we wanted to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's a, a good spot to end off for this week. So, uh, Matt Pauly, thank you again for joining us this week on the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, so for for Matt and Matt, for Matt Pauly and Matt Carroll, uh, I'm Dave Gastro. We'll see you again next week on the Cold Brew Podcast.